Bring it in. Read option podcast back. And Scotty, football is back. Yes, it is. Football yes, is back it is. in a big way. Week one, college football. I was literally just saying to Scott, we fucked up. We didn't put out a pod last week before I went on a short little vacation before week one. We didn't get everything out in time. Um, to really be able to like make official week one picks, which oversight on my, on my side, that's, that's my fault as the producer, the executive producer of the pod. Uh, I fucked that up. So hand up there. Um, But we are going to do our picks just like we do every year for college football. We pick usually like the best five games, sometimes one more, sometimes one less, usually five. uh, And we pick those games. We are going to do that again. Uh, And this would have been a fun week to do it because there were a bunch of, uh, interesting betting picks there wasn't a ton of super super interesting football and we'll get into all of that um as we kind of break down week one in college football because there was a lot of fun uh and obviously the the Dion stuff in florida state there's tons of stuff uh that's going to be fun to talk about here uh with the college football season but uh how was your first week one of col- of football being back this is i don't know if you can if we can fully say football is back because it's just college I feel like you need both college and NFL for it to be fully that's back. Right. But that's what this weekend's for, you know? Yeah. It's <laughs> like it's down on- week zero is like the bread that they put out on the table, the bread and olive oil or the bread and butter. Week one of college football is like your appetizer. And then week one of NFL, week two college football, that's when you're like, all right, now we're back to the main course. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm with you there. That's a great analogy by you. Uh, and, I couldn't uh, I couldn't agree more. Um, but, you know, to to some uh, who went to big football schools like myself, uh, it, you know, you get two New Year's, one for your college team and one for your pro team. Um, and so I was, it's was funny, actually, I, saying that that term. Are you New implying like, that JMU is not a big football school? No. Well, I you mean, know, for, I mean, you are in, in FCS. Now you've made the jump. It's the best school in, in the state territory. of Virginia. I mean, yeah, well, no, that's true. It, two of them beat up on each other this weekend. Um, but uh, no, I was walking my uh, my dog in the morning, who's named after the uh, mascot of the school I went to. No secret. It, I went to Penn State. Uh, my dog's name is Nittany. I was walking him in the morning. I have a neighbor who lives uh, a handful of houses down from me who also went to Penn State. And uh, walking the dog at seven in the morning because it was going to be a hundred degrees out that day and uh, saw, saw my neighbor, uh, my Penn state neighbor. And I said, happy new year um, <laughs> to him. And he, he kind of laughed. It was like seven in the morning. So he was, he was, you know, still a little groggy like the rest of us. But I see him later that afternoon. He's like, it took me so long to realize why you said happy new year. <laughs> what the f- And I was like, my, my man, it's come on. Not, yeah. That guy, <laughs> sure he's a great guy. I hope he listens to the podcast. Not a football guy. He needs he needs to up his football guy status a little bit. All right. If it, it, it if it's September and someone says Happy New Year to you, there is only one option. There's only one option for that. Um, but <laughs> but yeah, fo- football's back in a big way. I had I I got to say this too because a couple. So today's Tuesday. Uh, as we're recording this now, um, 
It's going to be a shorter pod than we normally do, only because there's not a ton to talk about. We're going to do our week one NFL preview with our picks and everything else on Thursday. It'll be released Friday, uh, and that's when we'll go through everything. We are going to make our picks for Thursday night football because we do have our first bit of NFL action Thursday night, Chiefs-Detroit Lions to kick off the new uh, good the, the, the new year. That 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 could be a very fun game. I'm not sure where the over ad is, but I have a feeling that the over might be in play. Uh, and, and we'll go through that. But so Tuesday, part of the reason I got to host trivia tonight. I don't know if I've actually talked about that or not. I host trivia at the bar that I work at, which I know I've referenced before here on the pod, the uh, the casual pint uh, free free plug for them because I work for them. So uh, they get a free plug. Uh, yes, uh, which is a great place. But I love doing it because I write like 40 questions and it's like different categories. Next week is our theme trivia. Once a month, we do a theme trivia. And guess what we're doing, Scotty? uh football we're doing football and i'm so goddamn excited about it it's (laughs) going to be so much fun uh and i'm going to make it really hard and no one's going to get any questions right because like we did harry potter trivia last month and that brings out all the crazy harry potter nerds who just like we had a team get every single question right they literally they went 61 of 61 questions got them all right and there were some deep cuts in there i did my homework uh I'm not sure if we're going to get the same turnout for like hardcore football nerds. I'm hoping that we will. Uh, but so I was telling you before for trivia tonight, I, I started doing some stuff in our picture round, which is always the last round we do. I do a different theme every week for picture round. Are you familiar with what the Mandela effect is? Yeah. Yeah. Where you think that something exists that or happened that truly didn't. It's just whatever your mind's eye is drawn up. And it's it's not just on an individual level. The, the crazy thing about the Mandela effect is that it's it's that thought where you're like, I could have, you know, we all have those moments like I could have sworn I did this or I could have sworn this happened, you know, but this is applied to large groups of people like thousands, sometimes hundreds of thousands, millions of people who make this kind of mistake. Uh, and so I wanted to wanted to tease uh, our trivia tonight, but I wanted to test a couple of of, of things with you, Scotty, here before we get into our football action. Normally, we'd save this stuff for the end, but I just, I, I learned, I had heard of the Mandela effect, but I, I really do like it. It is named after Nelson Mandela. Um, all right. So, if yeah, I do you know why it's called that, though? Uh, well, a lot of people thought he died in, it, yeah. in prison in the 1980s. Right. Uh, and no, he didn't die in the 1980s, actually. Instead, he was released from prison, I believe, in 1994. Yeah. Uh, and then went on to be president uh, like three days after getting released from prison. Um, but so th- it's all named after that because everyone, for some reason, like, I thought he died. You know, everyone kind of had that reaction to it. Um, all right. So first one here, this one is is big. If I were to ask you a famous peanut butter brand that starts with the letter J, what brand is that? It's Jeff. It is Jiff. Now, what's interesting is m- most people call it Jiffy. Yeah, which is what there's never there's never been a Jiffy brand. That's there's a cornbread Jiffy, brand. There's Jiffy Lube. It is a corn cornbread brand. You're right. Good call. Uh, and then Skippy peanut butter is the big rival. So some people apply a random Y at the end of Jiffy, but it is it is just Jiff. Uh, if I were to ask you to spell the Looney Tunes. How would you spell mm-hmm. how would you spell the Looney Tunes? L-O-O-N-Y-T-U-N-E-S. Wow. I feel like you might you might have done this before. Because <laughs> what most people think are 
L-O-O-N-E-Y, and then T-O-O-N-S as in cartoons, but it's actually T-U-N-E-S, uh, which was interesting. I got, I'll do a couple more here because I don't, and people don't listen to us to talk about this show. I just found this super interesting. Uh, the, uh, the, the family, the famous children's book about a small, a family of bears, mm-hmm. right? They are the Berenstein bears. Mm-hmm. How would you spell the, the last name of this bear family? Oh, I believe it's B E R N S T E I N. See, that's what I thought. And that's what most people thought, but it is actually the Berenstain Bears, B-E-R-E-N-S-T-A-I-N, but everyone calls them the Berenstain Bears. Uh, all right, I got two more because these are two of my favorites. Chicago Bears. The Chicago Bears. When you have a spray, there's there's a, the spray bottle, right, for Breeze, right? It's used to make your house, your car yeah. smell better. How do you spell for Breeze? I actually know this one because I was watching the commercial the other day. I was like, how do you spell it? And then I saw it again and it confirmed it. Uh, it's one E F E B R E Z E. It is. There is not a second E for for Breze for for And of, and we'll end with this one. Uh, famous, the famous bologna and hot dog company, right? They have a wiener mobile. They are what Scotty? <laughs> Oscar Mayer. Uh huh. And how do you spell Oscar Mayer? Uh, O S C A R M A Y E R. See, you got it. You got that right. You're you're hip to this stuff in a way I wasn't suppressed. <laughs> Most people think it's Mayer M E Y E R, but it's actually Mayer, like John Mayer, but it's pronounced Mayer. This the ship German blew. Way. Yeah, I don't know. This ship blew my <laughs> mind. Maybe maybe I'm maybe I'm just an idiot. I don't know. Uh, we'll see how it plays off. No, no, it's not that. Trivia. I, like, uh, if you've never thought about this before and then you, you're learning it, then sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll be curious to see how it plays off in a trivia context tonight. Uh, so anyway, detour aside, college football this weekend. Tons of fun. I have to tell you, I think I texted you this. I had an elite setup to watch the Colorado and TCU game because yeah. Uh, I've, I've been up to the beach the last couple weekends. And when I was up there, uh, the weekend before th- we had ran out of like beach chairs and my parents were like, Oh, well, there was like a, we have like the big, we call it like the roll, like the Rolex of beach chairs because it lays out perfectly flat and like a solid foot and a half above the, the sand. If you want to lay it out and lay on your stomach. Uh, it's got like a footrest that sticks out. I mean, this thing is like the Rolls Royce. This is the Porsche of uh, of beach chairs. And one really cool feature that it has is it has a hole cut out in the top of it underneath where the pillow is for your face to look straight down on. So that way, if you wanted to, you know, tan out face down, you, there's a place for your face to go underneath. I had the game streaming on my phone underneath the chair directly below where the hole cutout was on the chair. So I could lay out on, on the beach in this comfy chair face down without having to turn my head or do anything with an AirPod in and watch the second half of uh, TCU in Colorado, which in terms of places that I've been able to watch football uh, in context that had to be up there. It was one of the most prime that I've ever had. Uh, <laughs> no pun speaking intended. of prime, that is, I think, the place to start this weekend, because 
Thursday, Friday night, I mean, look, we had a couple of interesting games. Nothing that really, like, stood out, anything crazy. Um, Utah over uh, Florida. Utah, Florida, Again. which was Thursday yeah, Thursday night. Um, that game was not close uh, at all. I mean, it was 17-3 at halftime. I mean, I'll say this. Utah's offense didn't look great. Um, and this time it was in uh, – I almost said Provo. What's the uh, – Oh, I'm losing. I believe they're in Salt Lake City. I believe you're correct. I believe that is Salt Lake City. Uh, but the Utes uh-huh. handled handled business. But the the main story and the thing that has like controlled the college football landscape after week one is Colorado. Deion Sanders, Shador Sanders, Travis Hunter. This this team that was a 17 and a half point underdog against the defending national championship runner ups in uh you know the tcu horn frogs and a, a flat out unbelievable performance from shador sanders and that entire colorado team 81 new faces on this roster which is an obscene amount of turnover i believe it's the highest turnover ever that a college football program has ever had which again says a lot when you think about teams that have gotten the death penalty or close to it and guys who are transferring out and obviously modern day transfer portal makes it a lot easier. But at the same time, nobody knew what to expect. And had we made picks, I I would have, and I did uh, like, I can screenshot the bet as proof. I hammered Colorado at plus 17 and a half. And what I love about situations like this in sports and particularly with college football is that week one, the, the preseason rankings mean absolutely nothing. All right, we haven't seen these teams before. They're completely different teams than the year before. You'll have some guys who are coming back. You have some coaches and and quarterbacks who return. But in in reality, until week one, until we can see these teams on the field, we have no idea if anyone is good, if anyone is bad. And TCU deserves some benefit of the doubt after putting off a really good season last year. But they lost 11 guys from their roster, right? They had to replace 11 starters on what was a national championship competing team uh, in, in 2022. So giving them a 17 and a half point advantage, you know, giving them that much on the spread while also realizing that the quarterback that Max Duggan beat out to be the starter last year is now their starting quarterback, having lost their offensive coordinator to Clemson and Garrett Riley. That was a lot of points to be had. And as much as I would love to just kind of focus on the, hey, you know, maybe we overrated TCU. Maybe TCU is not the same. Maybe they're just average. Maybe they're going to be a six and six team this year. Maybe they're going to be seven and five. The bigger emphasis to me comes on the Colorado side of things. And there's certain things we can look back on and say, hey, we overlooked this, right? They had one five star, they had three four star transfers, and then they had over 40 three star transfers transfer in to Colorado, which for a place like Colorado is a big deal. And that obviously, again, is the Deion Sanders effect. But watching this game, and again, I was saying this to to, uh, my boss at, at the bar this morning. If there's one person in sports, right, if you're going to make a list of people that like, it's just historically bad person to bet against, bad person to say that you can't do this to. Deion Sanders is damn near at the top of that list. You know, he played two professional sports. He hit a home run 
you know, in an MLB game and then would come back and have two interceptions three days later playing for, you know, the Falcons or the Cowboys or wherever he was playing for. You know, this is a guy who, when told you can't do something, he says, fuck you, watch me. And I was so enamored with watching that Colorado game. A, because look, it's the first high quality competitive football we've had in a long time. But B, because watching what Dion has started to build and was able to display in week one in such a dominant fashion with a quarterback who was playing at the FCS level a year ago, lighting it up for half a thousand yards, 540 yards through the air, watching this kid who was the number one recruit in all of high school football two years ago play 129 snaps conservatively, coming in with 11 catches and over 100 yards, a touchdown, and an interception in three tackles. I found like I couldn't stop watching this game. No matter what was happening, I had to keep tuned in to watch what this Colorado Buffaloes team was doing. Yeah, me too. It just... Like, it was exciting. It was nice, you know, to have a game like that, especially on the opening weekend. I'm sitting out there smoking my pork belly burnt ends. I'm playing mm. cornhole. I'm drinking beer. I'm watching that game on the TV outside. It was great. It was it was entertaining. It was engaging. Um, and, and what a story, right? You, you talk about the, the lines. Like you said, having Deion Sanders and his two sons play there. Uh, his son going off for a school record, uh, 510 yards at Colorado in game one. Yeah, I was wrong about that, they, by the way. That they have played. I um, said 541 and, yards. I meant 510 yards and four touchdowns. Still, so. still. <laughs> that's that's insane. Uh, Not taking anything away against, from him. No, no. And again, TCU's problem last year was their defense, uh, especially their, their run defense. They didn't look good. Uh, and, and Colorado made them look silly on both sides uh, in both uh, phases, run and pass. Uh, so, you know, credit to, to Colorado. And, uh, you know, and, and I think it boils down to what Prime said at the end of the game uh, when he was getting interviewed. You know, he said all the credit goes to these kids um, that uh, not only his two kids, but a guy like Travis Hunter, who was has been severely underrated, goes out there and makes an incredible interception and just plays lockdown corner all game long. Um, and, and again, what, what, uh, what Deion Sanders said at the end, like nobody believes in us. We're taking receipts. Um, and it's, it's what I texted you in the middle of the game. I was like, what did they have to lose? I mean, mm-hmm. upside, they, they were one and 11 last year. They bring in a guy who they couldn't afford, who instantly uh, increased fundraising by $29 million at the university of Colorado, who instantly sold out their season tickets for the first time in a hundred years. And they go out in game one, take on the the runner up uh, in the national championship game from a year ago and, and play an, a, a good game on one side of the ball enough to keep them uh, in, in an, an entertaining game and, and end up winning it and, uh, and and being clutched down the stretch. So, um, yeah, I would be taking receipts, too, if I were Deion Sanders. And and, you know, the upside of this team is huge. Um, and the floor is relatively high too, because um, it's like, what, what are we gonna do? Be be one in eleven people were thinking they were gonna win three games this year. Dion adding two wins uh, to to their total from last year. I think they might win three in September, and it's pretty easy to see that right now. So, um, you know, I, I I'd be interested to see how the rest of the season plays out, especially in that conference for them. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think you hit on a bunch of really good stuff. I, and what I love about what Colorado did, and we didn't get a chance to talk about the Pac-12 before the season. Um, but what I love what? about this. There is uh, no. <laughs> well, yeah, I know. It was our last chance to do a Pac-12 preview. Um, and we didn't take it. But what I love about what Colorado did, and and this this is kind of the reality in college football now, right? There are the haves and the have-nots, and we've said that for a long time. And typically, right, when you have situations where it's like, well, these are the be- these are the teams that are going to be competing for national championships. Your Kirby Smarts, Nick Sabins, Urban Meyer when he was coaching, right, like Brian Kelly. You're going to have this certain class of quarterback, uh, of coach, and of program, you know, established big-time programs, places like LSU, even, you know, before Brian Kelly or before Coach O, where it's just like – they were going to get sick NFL talent just because they're LSU. Like there's just, there are kids growing up in Louisiana who want to go play at LSU. What I'm so enamored with, with what this Colorado situation is, is that there are very few things that can upset the status quo within something as clearly defined as what college football has been over the last 20 years, right? College football has been, the programs that are big enough to do it, there's about 10 to 15 of them, and that's it, right? But just like any other rule, there are exceptions. And I think what a lot of college football fan bases, you know, who are who are fans of not these middle-tier schools, but like middle-tier, big, t- you know, power five type schools, right? Your Iowa's. Right, who are good and can be really good, but like they're not quite at that next level. Uh, and, and not to say that it can't happen for Penn State, but I think a lot of Penn State fans even would say things like, We're right on that cusp of like, are we good enough to be in the college football playoff? Is it mm-hmm. going to be once every four or five years when the recruiting cycle works up Texas. and we have the right quarterback? Texas, Texas AM, like you have these schools that are in the middle tier, and a lot of times what it takes to jump up there just isn't viable. And weirdly enough, like what Dion brings with his vibrato, his energy, his fuck the system kind of mindset and, and fuck the haters kind of mindset is he gives schools a chance in the modern day, right? For years, if Dion went to Colorado 10 years ago, five years ago, he's not having this amount of success right away, Right even with all of the vibrato and all of the coach prime and all that stuff that gets baked into having a guy like Deion Sanders as the face of your organization, your program now coupled with the transfer portal, being able to go out and get guys. There are guys who want to go the number one recruit, a two-way athlete. The first time we've seen a two-way football player in how many years went to Jackson state just to play for Deion. Imagine the amount of talent and buy-in that he can get not only from boosters and fans, but from actual players. And so there's going to be a lot of schools who are on that cusp, those middle tier schools I was talking about who go, well, we need to go out and get a Dion. Dion's don't grow on trees. Dion is the exception to this rule. And I say all of that understanding that that is baking in a lot of overhype based off of what we saw this weekend because sure. again if tcu go tcu goes six and six and we're sitting here in december being like damn remember when we thought colorado was going to change the world and was going to change the landscape of college football and they were going to be really good shador sanders was going to be a heisman candidate all of that conversation 
could be mute when Colorado finishes seven and five. But yeah, even if they go seven and five, that's still a massive a improvement, improvement from a one yeah. and eleven team a year. And, and I think it's poetic too that <clears throat> Dion's doing it in a way that's different than we've ever seen. Um, and, and all the traditionalists are squawking about how uh, how weird it is and how much they don't like it. Uh, I the whole panel on 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 uh, college game day in the morning was like, I don't know, that's too much change. It's too much, uh, you know, it's too much, too much vibrato for, for old school college football guys. Uh, and this is the poetic part is that it comes game one after an off season that literally changed college football as we know. Uh, so I think that's pretty cool. Um uh, from from a from a story standpoint, on the field, look, their offense. I think if I may turn to to the on the field game, uh, their well, offense. Before looks... before we do that, I just I want to put one last bow on the Deion yeah, Sanders sure. stuff because I I do want to again clarify that so much of this excitement stems from a couple of things. It's a football being back, right? And it's like we've been talking about the same fucking storylines over and over and over again. And George Who's is going just, where today <laughs> George is just going to run through and win the national championship. And why do we watch and all the same shit, right? We had our games back. We have new things to talk about. That is exciting. People want to get overly excited about this. I want to get overly excited about it, but even trying to temper back some of my expectations, I genuinely believe, and this goes back to what I said about, Dion being somebody that you just don't want to bet against. I genuinely believe that if there's somebody who can make a difference, who can upset the, the, the waves, right. The upset, the flow of what college football has been aside from, you know, schools changing conferences left and right, which has done a pretty good job of that too. But if we're talking about actual on field results, Dion is the type of person who can bring a kid who was a four star from Alabama, who wasn't getting playing time as a freshman, bring him in on a, on a visit and sell that kid to go to Boulder because there were stretches in the late eighties and early nineties where Colorado football was fucking good. Right. Co-national champions one year, like the Colorado can be a good program. And now moving to the big 12, adding another wrinkle into to that conference of what it's going to look like moving forward. I think Colorado has the infrastructure, a coach, who people want to play for. And I think there's a fan base there. And, and it's it's kind of cool because Colorado always felt like a misfit in the Pac-12. You know, like even yeah. when they were there, when it was the Pac-10, even like before, it never quite fit because it's smack dab in the middle of the country. But anyone, I've never been out there. I'm actually going out to Boulder um, at the end of September. I'm really excited to, to go out and see it. But everyone I've ever talked to has gone out there. It's like, it's the best place ever. Like it's beautiful. It's incredible. I think it's going to be a pretty easy sell. And, and the crazy thing is, and obviously, again, we need to see it for me to like fully buy in. I wouldn't be surprised at all if this is something that they're able to sustain. But I just want to see it. And there's going to be people who look back on this season if they go seven and five and call it a disappointment based off of the hype we had after week one. But as we were just saying, unquestionably, this win in week one alone proves that they're already on a better track and if they're seven and five if they're eight and four if they're six and six that's all improvement and growth mm -hmm. and significant growth in one year because that shit is hard to do so, yeah 
Um, but on the field stuff, again, I want to talk about Travis Hunter. I want to talk about Shador Sanders, but you go ahead because I interrupted you. No, it's fine. I, I just I think their offense is incredible. It, it can run with anyone, especially in their conference right now. Um, I am concerned about the defense, apart from Travis Hunter, who played out of his mind, which he seems like he's capable of doing on any given Saturday. But I, this defense was atrocious. It was uh, 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 a 33 uh, overall defensive grade uh, in the game for Colorado's defense. That's like bottom of the barrel in college football on Saturday in Division One uh, of the 133 teams in Division One. I. I mean, they could not stop the run. Uh, anything over the middle could not be stopped unless they were throwing one on one to toward Travis Hunter. Uh, that TCU defense was running all over, and that's why they scored 42 points. Um, but you know, I, I, I just, I, there's a lot of question marks surrounding what we we think is a, a super hype team. So I'm saying pump the brakes because that defense needs to get a lot better for them to be any sort of successful. And, and I agree completely. I don't know if there's a team in the Pac-12 that can stop them. If, you, if you're yeah. going, if you're if you're going to, because because that's what I'm saying, it's not that it, you're because you're 100 right. I don't know how much it's going to matter. You know, like the thing out of everything that I saw out of this Colorado team, you know, the thing that was most shocking to me, the offensive line, the offensive yeah. line for Colorado was incredible. And I'm not sitting here saying TCU's got a ton of, you know, elite pass rushers. When we did our Big 12 preview, we talked about that that is one of the weaknesses of this defense for TCU. They do have two guys in the secondary who are going to be playing on on Sunday. So, like, on Sundays, I should say. Like, they have two NFL-caliber guys in that secondary, and that didn't matter because Shador Sanders was still able to pick them apart. But they are three, maybe even four deep at wide receiver between Dylan Edwards, who – Talk about lightning bolt, dude. That dude, when he gets in, I mean, he's a running back, wide receiver, hybrid kind of guy. They're going to throw him all over the field. Uh, Jimmy Horn, it seemed like every uh, – by the way, is he related to – who was the Horn? Um, is it Was it Jimmy Horn? Was that the Jim Horn? J.C. Horn? No, no, no. The one who played uh, – no, Joe Horn is who I was thinking Joe of. Joe Horn. Okay. Yeah. Whose son is J.C. Horn. I was like, I could have sworn we already had a Joe Horn – you know, offspring somewhere. So no relation uh, to Joe Horn. Um, but Jimmy Horn Jr. was like every time I, I I looked over the game or whatever, I just kept hearing his name. Uh, and he had a few drops early too. He, 11 catches, 117 yards, uh, a touchdown for him. Travis Hunter, again, obviously really, really good. But even when they take Travis Hunter off the field, because primarily they want to use him on defense, they're still two, two legitimately good four-star wide receivers and, and uh, uh, Xavier Weaver and Jimmy Horn, and then Dylan Edwards out of the backfield or split out wide, and then you're also mixing in Travis Hunter. So there's four legitimate like passing threats just between wide receivers and running backs. Uh, the running game, not great as a whole when it comes to like this this Colorado rushing attack, but yeah, I don't they're think they're – much better really... pass blocking. <clears throat> but I also don't think they're too worried about that. Um and I was listening to Joel Klatt, who grew up in Boulder, played at Colorado, is a diehard buff, was on the call. And I know there's a lot of Joel Klatt haters. I thought he actually did a phenomenal job on the call, um, just like we talked about with Herbie, you know, and whenever he calls those big Ohio State games, like I always think Herbshoot does a really, really good job of not letting the bias seep in. 
I think mm-hmm. Joel Klatt did a fantastic job of that. But he made a really good point. I was listening to him uh, earlier, which is that if TCU just committed to the run, right, they, they threw the ball 42 times, TCU did. If they ran the ball 42 times, now they still ran it almost 40 times, you know, guaranteed. But if they committed more to the run, I, I think TCU probably holds on to this game. I think back to that red zone interception, which is one of the most impressive interceptions I've ever seen oh my in my God, life. Yeah. I mean, that pass looked wide open and out of nowhere, Travis Hunter comes in. And that's one of those that it's not like the kid from Oklahoma a couple years ago who had the one-handed spinning backwards interception, the linebacker, where it's like your jaw drops because that's just an insane catch. The, the actual football nerd in me, and I'm sure it was the same for you too, Scotty, was like, how the fuck did Travis Hunter cover that did, much ground saw, that quickly? I, no idea. I had the same thought because I was like, I was watching and all of a sudden I was like, that's a walk-in touchdown. And all of a, all of a sudden he jumps the route from yeah. absolutely out of nowhere. Like he just appeared on the screen. Yeah. It was like playing like Mario football or like uh, <laughs> backyard football. If you remember that. And they were like yeah. those trick plays in backyard football where all of a sudden like <laughs> yeah, you go underground appears. and you pop yeah. up. Yeah. yeah, shit like that. And it's like, that's that's the only thing I can fathom that happened on that play. It was an incredible play. It, it was. And so when we talk about this Colorado defense, and I know that's kind of where you were alluding to, like there's concerns there. there. There is. Like the pass rush wasn't great. I think they finished – they had zero sacks on the day. Um, they were not generating a ton of pressure. But Deion Sanders' other son, Shiloh Sanders, is a really, really good cornerback. And you're pairing him with Travis Hunter on the outside. They are better in terms of a one-two combo at quarterback than I think any wide receiver room in the Pac-12. Now, they are going to be playing really, really good quarterbacks in the Pac-12. That's kind of the calling card of the Pac-12 so far this year, which is that like they are loaded at quarterback top to bottom. Like There are just quarterbacks littered throughout the Pac-12. I look at this. Including the likely Heisman winner. Yeah, and Caleb Williams. But what do we know about Caleb Williams, right? He gets a little freaky. He tries to get a little too Mahomesy, and he tries to throw these weird arm slots. And when, when it works, you're like, holy shit, this might be a better quarterback than Patrick Mahomes by the time he gets to the NFL. But a lot of times, too, like he makes dumb decisions or close calls. I don't think you're going to be able to do that going up against defensive backs and, like this. Yeah, and they got Bo Nix and uh, and Caleb Williams in back-to-back games at the end of the month. So Which, that'll be I, interesting. That USC-Colorado game, is that in Colorado? It is, yeah. So circle your calendars for, especially if Colorado's undefeated as they get to that game, uh, and USC we would expect to be undefeated at that point. Circle that for a potential college game day spot, uh, especially in Colorado. That would be a ton of fun, uh, and that game will be a ton of fun regardless. Uh, by the time, wow! By the time kickoff went off, TC was minus twenty-one in this game. I, <laughs> I mean, I again, I get it—the amount of turnover, all that stuff. Colorado was so bad last year, but this defense—I understand they're not great in their front seven. I think they're good enough. Like, I think they're good enough to keep this offense in games because as long as this offense is playing and TCU who has a solid front four not an elite front four there's not a single defensive line in the Pac-12 that scares me to think that this offensive line is going to be in trouble which means that Colorado is going to put up points whenever they want it reminds me almost last year of when uh of Ohio State and toward the end of the year we were going like don't get in a shootout with them no Um, because they will beat you not at 
well, nine times out of 10, the 10th one was when they missed the field goal at midnight on New Year's Eve uh, <clears throat> or on New Year's Day. But um, but it looks a lot like that where like the you have questions about the defense, but you almost don't care. Like, go ahead, give up the big play, give CJ Stroud the ball back. Same, same type of deal here with uh, with uh, uh, Deion Sanderson, the quarterback, and that explosive offense. Just give them the ball back because they're yeah. going to score a lot. And, and, and Colorado – Jumps up to number twenty-two in the in the uh, top twenty-five rankings after week one. I think that's deserved. But again, even at this point in the season, having seen some football, let's not put too much stock into the top twenty-five, especially the AP top twenty-five. Um, but this game against Nebraska, week two, is going to be a really, really big, uh, big game for them because Nebraska yeah. and Matt Rule, they saw, they watched this game, and they're going to know exactly where the weaknesses is, which is it's going to be really tough to throw against this. Colorado defense because of how good the secondary is, but you can run on them as we know. Uh, and Nebraska is going to love the idea of running the football against this TCU team. Are we a Colorado, big 10 team Co- running? Colorado team? Yeah, I know. Right. Uh, and, and then from there, it's going to be all right. Well, if Nebraska is able to ground and pound control the ball, can this offense that looks so dynamic in week one, continue to look just as dynamic? I mean, it's tough. You're on the road against the team and a program that was just in the national championship. And again, I know they lost 11 guys, 11 starters from that TCU team from a year ago, including the quarterback and their offensive coordinator. They still put up 42 points and Colorado still outscored them. And I I think Colorado goes in next week at home and beats Nebraska. And we're talking about weeks four and five against Oregon and USC as being awesome awesome games because Dan Lanning and that team, he still got those defensive recruits from, you know, when, when Mario Cristobal was at Oregon, there's still a lot of talented defensive players on that Oregon stat uh, and that Oregon roster. It's going to be really, really fun. USC, that game I'm telling you already now is going to be so drunk with offense because USC doesn't have a defense. Bet and the at, over. <laughs> and at least we know that Colorado has a good secondary but USC also has Caleb Williams. That game is going to be so much fun. September 30th. Circle your calendars for that one. Um, if you were to guess, let's just let's let's steer into the overreaction Monday or overreaction Tuesday as we're talking about it today. How many how many wins does Colorado get at the end of the season? Uh all right. We've got the one. So there's that. Uh, at, least one. <laughs> <laughs> at least one. At least one. Yes. Uh, let's see. I think they, they win a tight one next week against Nebraska. They beat Colorado state. I think they split that, that two week stretch with Oregon and USC. They're better than Arizona state. Um, so what's that? Three, four, five, six, eight. I'll give them eight wins. You have eight. I'll give them eight. Yeah. I didn't quite go eight. I said seven. Um, but it's funny. We saw, I think they win against Nebraska. They beat Colorado State. I think they go one and one between Oregon and USC. Yeah. That's, yeah. Arizona State, I think they win. Stanford, I think they win. I think they lose to Oregon State. They should beat Arizona. And then Washington State, UCLA, Arizona, Arizona State, Stanford. Like out of all of those, I think they win three, which adds up to, and then they, I think they lose more than likely. This seems like the type of game, like team that they'll go into Salt Lake City and go up against Utah 
and they just will not be prepared for it because that you it's so weird playing in that place. Like it's just it's like another planet. Uh, well, and and it, especially you think if they run through this schedule, right? And and they're sitting at nine wins by the time they roll into that Utah game, they can be ready to go. So yeah. I mean, I, there's, I, there's the they're in a bowl. I, I think they make a bowl. I think eight <laughs> yeah, yeah, wins is possible. Sure. I mean, look, if they take care of teams like they should, Arizona State, Stanford, UCLA, Arizona, Washington State, I mean, that to me gets them to – that gets them to eight wins just with those alone. And then you're saying, all right, what do you do against Oregon, USC, Oregon State, and Utah? Because I'll tell you what, Oregon State and DJ Uyunglele looked freaking good on yeah, Saturday. They did. Talk, talk about a team that's going to be pissed off uh, and I have to say, I did. St- I'm stealing this from part of my take, but they, you know, apparently there's a bylaw that uh, a, a conference has needs a minimum of eight teams to continue to exist, but there's a two year grace period. So there's a chance we could have the pack two next year, which oh, I baby. think would be fucking awesome. Let's do it. <laughs> Punch your ticket to the conference championship, Washington State and Oregon State. <laughs> Um, but John Smith and that, I mean, that program has been building for four years now, and this is like the year that they're supposed to be good. I hope somebody nabs them. Um, but DJ Uyengle looked like a different guy on Saturday night. All right. That's enough Colorado talk to me because look, most of these games sucked, right? We had two teams put up 73 points, Oklahoma and Ole Miss. We had Oregon put up 81 points. Did you uh, hear about the, so you know what the, their mascot does? For yes, touchdowns, I do. You can <laughs> they, tell they, tell the people, Scotty. So every time Oregon scores a touchdown, um, and Penn State does this too, but the the duck mascot for Oregon will do a push up for every number of of points they score. So they get six. He does six. The the duck does six. They score another touchdown, uh, or it's seven, I guess. After they wait until after the point after, uh, so they get a second touchdown. He doesn't do another seven. He does fourteen. And so on and so forth. So he ended up doing something like what? Uh, over 500 push-ups on the night because they scored 81 yeah, points. I think it was like 526 or something like that. What's his name? Paddle? What's his? What's the the Ducks nickname? I I don't know. It's something. It's something dumb. Um, I do love that. Uh, I puddle? do love the puddle. Yeah, it might be puddle. I don't. I don't, I don't know what it is. We're getting stats um, and info on it. It's but, just the Oregon Duck. It's the, yeah, it's the Oregon, the Oregon 546 pushups. I was close. I was close. Um, yeah, just an obscene amount of pushups. That poor guy. I mean, talk about your shoulders being wrecked. Um, but yeah, so again, most of the games this weekend were pretty mediocre. We really didn't have Boise state. Washington looked interesting to start. Uh, and then Washington, Washington pulled away pretty, pretty heavily in the second quarter, 28 points in the second quarter. Uh, Rice and Texas was a little bit of a slow start, and then Texas exploded for 21 points in the third quarter. Virginia, Tennessee was kind of the same boat. I mean, a lot of these were just kind of slow starts. Hey, the the fact that, and I agree with Virginia's head coach, the fact that they were even on the field playing a game uh, was after was, everything last year was pretty great. Yeah, they haven't yeah. played a game since the the three players were were killed in the shooting at UVA. So yeah, good, good on that program for getting out and, and getting prepared to, to play ball on a Saturday. Yeah. And they're uh, and not only that, and then they, um, they play JMU this week, UVA JMU in Charlottesville, a uh, little in-state rivalry. Uh, we'll see if the, if the Cavs can, can bounce back against the Dukes who did not look great to start against Bucknell, but they, uh, they came out big. Um, 
all of this is to say that there was one very much marquee game that people were looking forward to in this weekend, right? Everyone thought going into it, if we're going to have one nail biter with elite quarterback performance on a national stage, it wasn't going to be Colorado TCU. It was going to be LSU and Florida State. Florida State won the matchup last year when they played in New Orleans. It's not a true home and home. It's like a region and region. It's, you know, they played in the Superdome last year. Florida State won on that that ugly, weird finish. Uh, I think LSU missed a kick or Florida State hit a field goal. I, I'm trying to remember. It was, it was a great game. LSU missed it, I think. Yeah. Uh, and so then part two is here with both teams having very high expectations. LSU ranked fifth preseason. Florida State ranked eighth. Top 10 matchup again, get all the hype going. Uh, and the first half of this game was electric. Uh, I thought it was one of the more entertaining halves of football I had seen uh, other than the, the the Colorado TCU game. It probably was the best half of football we saw in week one in college football. Uh, and then Florida State, after a bizarre second quarter from Jordan Travis with a couple of weird miscues and fumbles and a couple of bizarre turnovers where it seemed like it looked what like is, a 180. It was very bizarre. <laughs> Yeah, for a guy who's who's been very steady, like he's he does he doesn't turn the ball over a ton, like, and and we've wanted to see him kind of explode more with his athleticism over the last couple of years, but he's always been very good at keeping the game manager side in check. He got a little rattled in the second quarter, only to turn around and start just throwing dimes across the field, left and right. Um, this Florida State team made Surgical. a statement in the second half against. Uh, LSU and I'll tell you what this team and we talked about Florida State they were the first team that you and I were both really really high on when we went through our college preview we both really liked them we loved what they did on the offensive line the offensive line going up against a very talented loaded defensive line for LSU with plenty of NFL talent on it not only held its own but in times bullied the shit out of LSU and I, I cannot say this enough. I am so impressed by what I saw out of Florida State on Saturday night. Uh, I remember at halftime, I was with my family and my girlfriend, and we were having a nice you know dinner and post-dinner, playing games, doing puzzles, whatever. And it was like, all right, I'm going to stay up to watch the second half of this game because I think we're going to have a hell of a finish. And Florida said, just said, just, nope, not at all. We're going to just keep throwing it to Keon Coleman and high point these balls and Johnny Wilson and his seven foot five fucking frame. Who's just going up and high pointing balls left and right. I mean, Florida state looked awesome. Jared verse looks like Khalil Mack out there. I mean, I am so impressed with this Florida state team. Uh, I think they're going to be a real, real problem Uh, because look, it's, it's one thing if you do it, you know, you're playing Oklahoma or USC or even like a Florida Utah matchup. This is LSU. There are blue chippers on both sides of the ball throughout the entire roster, and Florida State flat out bullied them. Yeah, and and it was you're right. It was a weird timeline because both teams looked like they were cooking in the in the first quarter, <clears throat> and then Florida State just reverses course on offense. They looked like the, a shell of themselves. Uh, Jordan Travis making weird plays. Uh, I was really impressed with with how they they turned around, uh, and because they came out like gangbusters on uh, in in the second half and and never looked back. And I think a big part of it was uh, on on defense. I mean, <clears throat> especially in the secondary, we we cited their secondary as maybe the weak point in our preview, and it kind of looked that way. Jared, uh, Jaden Daniels was was carving them up quite a bit, both uh, 
when he got into the open field when he was running, and then uh, with with his ex receiver in uh, in, uh, in in uh, Kyron Lacy, uh, and it got to a point in the game where like Kyron Lacy was wide open because they were just letting the corner go one on one with him. There was no safety help whatsoever. There was one play I, I think they were in the red zone right before the half ended. And uh, they went to him like three straight plays because it was just one on one with the corner. Um, <laughs> like Jaden Daniels also played like on, in that sequence in particular. Like they set up and again the the obligatory one on one throw a fade to the back corner and Jaden Daniels just yeah. threw a freaking line drive straight to the back of the the defensive back of Florida State. Yeah. I mean, but <clears throat> I think I I think it got so much better for Florida State in the adjustment they made and. and the second half because uh Akeem Dent who was who was their free safety who was able to help out out there was previously rushing the the toward the the line uh and, and trying to get at get at the passer instead of staying on the backside and and helping out the the corner going one on one with their best receiver at LSU uh and once they started giving the the corner that the safety help from Akeem Dent all of a sudden it, it just confused the hell out of Jaden Daniels and they were not able to do anything with the ball. Uh, and, and, and up front, it was, it was hard uh, for them to, to run the ball. They got a rushing touchdown out of my former uh, running back, Noah Kane, who's in like his 10th year in college, I think. Yeah. I, uh, I couldn't and, believe that when I saw his name pop up. It's like, what? He's still in. Um, and then the other, the other spot I was impressed by with, uh, with Florida state was on the offensive line, being able to, to do damage on, on guys like even Makai Wingo had a big game. All of a sudden, the second half, they were not getting after Jaden or uh, uh, Jordan Travis, uh, who who had to use his legs more in the first half than he did in the second, and and he had time to throw the ball and and deliver it to the guys, uh, those big receivers on the outside. Um, so a good job by the uh, the Florida State offensive line. I mean, they've got three guys up the middle who are NFL talent uh, on LSU's defensive line, led by Makai Wingo, and I think that that the Florida State offensive line. Did, did an incredible job. I mean, think about this too, right? Like, I because again, that to me was, I mean, I, I thought Jordan Travis in the second half was just outstanding. I, I was so impressed with what they looked like. The splits between the first and second half for him uh, were significant. I, I was really, really impressed with that Florida State offensive line, which is kind of why I led with it because we talked about it. Like, they brought in transfers. Like, we asked – when we went through that team, we were like, is this offensive line going to be enough, not just to hang in the ACC and to be, you know, be able to be the number one team in the ACC, but to be able to help them compete for a national championship. And I think what we're seeing with this Florida State team is that they're nasty on both sides of the trenches. And one of the things that really jumped out at me watching this Florida State game, and now granted, look, it's been four years, three plus years since we've seen Mike Norvell at Memphis. But when Mike Norvell was at Memphis, that's when they had Kenny Gainwell and Antonio Gibson and all these like wide receiver converts to running back because they had these awesome skill guys who they were like Austin Lynch. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, that was the guy before uh, Mike Norvell that goes back even further. Um, but when, when, when Mike Norvell was at Memphis, we looked at, you know, they had these skill guys who were really good with the ball in their hands. And the reason that those guys converted to running back was because Mike Norvell wanted to bully you up front. He wanted to dominate you in the trenches. He wanted to beat you with his offensive line and be able to put the ball directly in the hands 
of his best skill position guys. And that's why we saw Antonio Gibson and Kenny Gainwell and these guys, you know, convert from wide receivers to running back because he wanted to get them the ball. He wanted to give them opportunities to go out and make plays behind a really, really good offensive line. And for the first time since Mike Norvell has been at Florida State, this looked like how his teams at Memphis used to play, which was we're going to generate pressure with our front four. We're going to stout. We're going to be stout on the offensive line. We're going to be able to beat you on the ground. We're going to be able to throw it through the air. And obviously, he never had a quarterback like Jordan Travis when he was at Memphis. So seeing this air raid attack to complement, you know, a really, really solid. Like I thought Trey Benson, I know the stat line's not incredible, 12 carries, 47 yards. I thought he looked really, really good at running back. And I think there's going to be games when you're playing less talented fronts, when they play the likes of North Carolina and NC State and more ACC teams, where Trey Benson's going to have monster days on the ground. Because when you're playing this LSU team, you are looking at that front seven. You're looking at, you know, uh, Savion Jones and Makai Wingo and Mason Smith and Jordan Jefferson and these guys who are really, really good pass rushers, uh, Ovi Agofo. Like, there are really, really talented front seven, front four type guys that play for LSU. How many sacks did LSU have in this game? Zero. Yeah. They gave yeah. up zero sacks to a line <clears throat> full of NFL talent. Guys who are going to be playing on Sundays for the next five to 10 years. That is so impressive. And the, as dominant as they looked in that second half, it was just everything Jordan Travis threw up. As soon as he got in the rhythm, shook off the nerves, Keon Coleman, Johnny Wilson, even Jaheim Bell, all these guys felt mm-hmm. like if it was a contested catch, it was a perfectly thrown ball. And if they were wide open, it was just he was making the right reads. I was so impressed by everything I saw of this Florida State team. And to me, like for as impressed and, and awesome as that, you know, Colorado game was and, and how impressive Colorado looked, this was by far to me the most impressive showing in college football. And I know if we're going just based off of quality of wins, like the, this is by far the best win in college football so far. What sucks for Florida State is that, you know, a month and a half, two months from now, this win may not matter, right? Florida LSU could be having a down year. It's not going to happen because Brian Kelly. I mean, the same thing happened last year. Florida State beats LSU week one. LSU still almost makes the college football playoff if they don't blow a couple games late. I hope this game matters. I hope LSU continues to be good. But there was not a more impressive performance, and that's including teams that won 73 to nothing. You know, because just the quality of competition and a really, really well-coached team. LSU didn't lose a crazy amount of talent last year in the draft. They're just, they're built the right way. And for all the people who wanted Mike Norvell out because of the way that he was handling the COVID stuff back in 2020 in his first year, this is why, and this is why I was such a big fan. My roommate, Andrew, diehard Florida State fan. And he was like, I don't know if Mike Norvell is it. The boosters are talking about wanting to get him out of there. I said, I, I really like Mike Norvell, and he had a rocky start with the COVID stuff and the COVID year. Hang with him. Let him get his recruits in. They've done such a good job of adapting to the, the transfer portal. Mm-hmm. I, I think Florida State is a legitimate, like truly legitimate national championship contender. I think they might have the best quarterback not named Caleb Williams in the country. I know everyone loves Drake May, and I know Drake May is a really good talent, and he can make all the throws. 
North Carolina is not going to be uber competitive this year. I think they could be competitive in, in terms of like an eight, nine win season, but they're not going to be a college football threat. I don't think there's a team in the ACC that holds a candle to what we're seeing and what we saw out of Florida State. And again, I know it's overreaction Monday, all that kind of stuff. I'm just, I was so blown away by what I saw from this Florida State team that to me, I think they're the clear cut. They were one of the clear cut favorites to win the <laughs> ACC. I think they're the clear cut, arguably number one threat to knock off Georgia. Well, <laughs> non, I'll say this it, non SEC, non SEC threat. It's it's week one. Uh, but yeah, you're right. I mean, the way they played, you go in and, <clears throat> and you dominate uh, an SEC team and they're ranked fifth in the country. We think they're probably going to be somewhere around there by year's end anyway, uh, LSU. So I, there's no reason not to to look at this performance that, that Florida State put up on both sides of the ball and go, uh, yeah, they're right there um, with Alabama, with Georgia, um, with uh, and you know, we'll probably see another team or two like that at the Michigans of the world, uh, over the past couple of years. So, um, I, it's hard not to, to, to think that after week one, but again, it here's, is week here's, one for I, a reason, but I understand. And you're right. Right. Okay. But let me throw something at you. Okay. 24 seven sports does what they call the, the college football team talent composition. Right. So they take all of the talent within you know uh your team and 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 they they rank them based off of how many stars you get so five stars four stars three stars and they make a composite list georgia is number two lsu was number seven all right and th- this lsu team we're not we're not talking about you know iowa we're not talking about florida even that's another lsu team we're talking about one of the few college football programs that actually pulls in as many uh, that actually pulls in as many like five star caliber guys as really, really, really good coach. There are very few teams that can be compared to what Georgia does. And obviously Georgia's won national championships the last two years. But if Florida State, with this offensive line, with the skill guys they have on defense, with the skill guys on the outside, the running back, and most importantly, the quarterback – they have the makeup that I don't think any other team in college football has right now in terms of a total package. And we've seen them in, and again, I know it's week one, but we just saw them beat the living shit out of a team that from a talent standpoint is not that far removed from what Georgia does. Now, again, Georgia is another step up. It's another animal. I get it. But if we're talking about legitimate contenders, right? You want to say Alabama, but the quarterback situation, there is a giant question mark. Right. And they got a huge game next week, too. And they got a huge game against Texas, who's another one that people could say. But again, Texas, we haven't the quarterback's still unproven. Quinn yours. You know, the, the defense looked okay, but they struggled in the first half against Rice. Texas could go on to make the college football playoff for all we know. Uh Michigan, we've seen we we've seen them go up against Georgia. And even with some of their best looking programs, Still wasn't enough to get past Georgia. Ohio State, we saw them with a guy who was a top five court, uh, the number two overall pick in the draft in CJ Stroud, who went out there and almost beat Georgia, but defensively couldn't hang because they didn't have the marquee guys that a Florida State actually has. Like, I know it sounds crazy and hyperbolic, but if we're talking about like what's the recipe to knock off a team like Georgia, you need a, a proven, reliable, 
athletic, super talented quarterback, which they have. You need really, really good skill position guys, which they have. Most importantly, out of everything, you need a really, really good offensive line, which they have. You need guys who can generate pressure. And George's quarterback and Carson Beck is also a complete question mark. We have no idea what he's going to look like. And Florida State in week one and back-to-back years went up against a really, really good LSU team with tons of NFL talent across the board with a good head coach. And they just wiped the floor with them in that second half. For sure. For sure. And I think they're going to have to dominate like their schedule uh, moving forward. Florida state that is uh, especially with one of the games we'll probably talk about in a couple of minutes here. Uh, Clemson doesn't look anything like what we thought they were. Uh, And so the rest of the ACC schedule is Virginia Tech, Syracuse, Duke, Wake Forest, Pitt, Miami, which could be a tough game, North Alabama as their non-con, and then Florida. I don't see a spot where they slip up, but like that doesn't do a lot of favors when you're doing uh, the math in early December. No. And if you look, if they knock off, you know, Florida too, and that's two SEC schools that they beat, they run through the ACC, which they should. They will have a common opponent with Georgia in terms of, you know, having Florida on that schedule. Florida doesn't have a hard schedule. All right. Sorry, Georgia doesn't have a hard schedule. They go uh, whoever the hell that they played this week, UTM. Then they got Ball State, South Carolina, and then it's UAB, Auburn, Kentucky, Vanderbilt, Florida, Missouri, Ole Miss, Tennessee, Georgia Tech. Georgia could be undefeated going into the, you know, the college football playoff. And they could also be completely untested. You know, there's cases where every single team on this list could end up not being in the top 25. You could tell me Tennessee could end up not being in the top 25 or Ole Miss could end up not being in the top 25, you know, and and I don't have a lot of faith for South Carolina or Auburn or Kentucky or Vandy or Florida. Like Georgia could be completely untested and we still may not know what Carson Beck looks like going up against a really, really good team. And if they draw a matchup against Florida State, who – like it or not, Florida State will be more tested at that point in the season. Yeah. I, I'm just – I'm such a big fan of what I saw on Saturday night. And, again, I try usually to not be particularly hyperbolic about stuff when it comes to college football because I know how quickly shit can turn. But Florida State has the kind of build in terms of their depth chart and their roster and and the way that that program is currently being run. They, they are built as a team – to make a run like this, like it translates anywhere yeah. on the biggest stage, on the small skate stages. I, I think Florida state's going to end up being number one or number two in the country by, by the time all is said and done, but Hey, they could lose next week and I could look like an absolute fucking fool. Um, the third game that is worth talking about happened Monday night. And that is Duke upsetting Clemson 28 to seven. Um, Weird football game as a whole. I didn't get to watch all of it. Uh, I went back and watched uh, as much of the highlights as I could. Uh, Crucial turnovers from Clemson at the wrong times. Really, really bad uh, drops. That one pick that just uh, uh, Cade Klubnick just drilled his wide receiver square in the chest and just popped right up uh, and, and some guy in the secondary. But look, this is something that Duke has been slowly building towards over the last couple of years. All right, this is this is not new for Duke. All right, Duke 
has last year took a big jump with Mike Elko, their their head coach that they changed a couple years ago. They play really good defense. They play hard-nosed, fast defense. I'm not saying Duke's going to end up being a, a contender in the ACC, but this isn't, you know, the David Cutcliffe Duke teams that were rollovers by the end of the season, all right? This is a Duke team that could roll off seven or eight wins and, and be impressive. But I guess my question to you, Scotty, is how much of this game was because I think I even said to you, it's rare to see a 28-7 to game where you say, you know, the team that scored seven probably should have won the game. But that is kind of how it felt with how that whole overall game kind of rolled out. Are you more impressed with Duke pulling off the win or more disappointed in Clemson playing as poorly as they did? Uh, more impressive or impressed with Duke, I think. Uh, because, like, you, I don't care who you're playing – where you're playing, you have to capitalize on turnover opportunities. And Duke did that at every turn on Monday night. Um, if some of those bounce Clemson's way, it's a different ball game, right? Yeah. We're talking about uh, Duke being uh, tied with Clemson 14 up at the, at the end of the second half or end of the uh, second quarter. And so <clears throat> I, I, that's, that's football and, and teams like Clemson who have the talent that they have, that we cited in our preview, uh, who have the coaching that they have, who have like this pedigree of winning that they have, don't make those mistakes or shouldn't make those mistakes in a game like that against what we think is, all, uh, an, albeit frisky, but uh, inferior Duke opponent. Um, look, I, I think we said when we did our ACC preview, Duke is a team that can mess around and, and throw some wrenches into the into the. Yeah, conference. you liked them. You uh, liked them a lot. Yeah. Yeah, but you know, by by no means do we think they're world beaters. I don't think Clemson gets it. Uh, Dabo is 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 resisting the the modern trend of using the portal. Uh, he's still for for even if you're if you're not building around that, you still have an insane uh, round of recruiting over the past almost decade where you're you've got a team. Uh, you've built national championship teams, and now you have a team with what we think is could be an elite quarterback, what we think are are two elite running backs, and a defense, especially that linebacking core, which is lights out and in, in NFL caliber. Uh, so, th- to me, there's no reason to lose this game. Um, you know, uh, you clean it up, and and it's a different game. So, I'm more impressed with Duke being able to uh, to capitalize on those opportunities, and furthermore, put some pressure on them on Clemson on defense. Uh, on that side of the ball to to make them make the mistakes that they made. I'm definitely more disappointed in Clemson. I, I think this is a game that just you can't lose. You know, it's not like Duke came out and played like Colorado did against TCU, where this offense was just firing left and right. It was it was dumb mistakes. You know, D- Dabo had his had his run there where that Clemson team was dominating in recruiting and was pulling in this elite talent. I know there are individuals, especially on the defensive side of the ball, where you go, man, like Clemson's got dogs left and right. Jeremiah Trotter Jr. Like there are plenty of guys up and down that that team uh, on Clemson that are going to be NFL players. But it's not what it was a couple of years ago. You know, it's not when it was Mike Williams playing, you know, wide receiver and and Justin Ross and T Higgins and Deshaun Watson and. Uh, Travis Etienne, Trevor Lawrence. It's not that anymore. It, this this team offensively is not explosive. 
I understand, you know, look, we got a new quarter, a new coordinator in there. They're running a different type of offense. And I thought that was going to make a big difference for Clemson. I thought Clemson was going to make a jump to kind of going back to being that, that consistent national championship kind of threat after what we just saw TCU do last year. I don't, I, to me, it, it's, it, it kind of comes down to, it reminds me a little bit of like what happened in the conversations we had about Belichick and the Patriots last year which was like we're just seeing un-Belichick-led team, like mistakes that we typically don't see out of Bill Belichick-led teams. And those are the kind of – that's the kind of shit that, especially in college football, pisses off fan bases so much. And the blame for that stuff, it doesn't go on the kids. Some of it does. Primarily it goes on the coaches. And, and more so than anything, if you're not crisp, if you're making mental mistakes, if you're making small mistakes, fumbles, dropped – easy completions that are dropped and then turned into interceptions. That's the kind of stuff that ultimately comes back onto the head coach. And to me, if Dabo is really the coach that we have kind of thought that he's been, you know, given the run that they had there for the better part of 10 years, those mistakes don't happen. And none of this is to take anything away from Duke, right? Duke played a really, really good game. You know, they, 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 played the game that was handed to them defensively. They showed up and, and, and they made Clemson feel them, right. And, and they brought more of the intensity, but this offense has very little explosiveness in it. Cade Klubnick looked like it was dink and dunk city left and right, you know, not trying to stretch the field because they don't have the guys that are breaking away. They don't have the guys, the Mike Williams and the T Higgins anymore and the Justin Rosses anymore. They don't have those guys that they had before. That's this explosive talent and for a dude like Cade Klubnick, who was a five-star quarterback who's been sitting and waiting his turn, it's pretty disappointing, man. It's pretty disappointing. I was expecting a lot more out of Clemson because at the same time, like Duke didn't play a great game, all right? They played a good enough no. game to win this, and, and that deserves a ton of credit. But they didn't play enough. Like It wasn't a good enough performance on their part to make me think like, damn, Duke – is clearly a better football team than Clemson. Clemson blew this game, and they looked really, really shitty doing it. And um, and look, you're down tw- seven points against Duke. I-, I don't, I don't care what you are. You are Clemson, all right. You got five star guys. You do have talent. I, you have Will Shipley, one of the best running backs in the country. I don't care what it is. You cannot lose to Duke twenty eight to seven. It's one thing if it's a fluky play at the end and it's a twenty eight to twenty seven win or whatever. This wasn't that, right? This was Clemson played like shit. Duke did the little things better than them, and they capitalized on the opportunities that were put in front of them, and they closed it out in the fourth quarter when Clemson still had a chance to get back in this in that game and win after the third quarter, and Duke was prepared for it, and Clemson wasn't, and that ultimately falls on Dabo and the coaching staff. Yeah, 100%. I, yeah. I, I don't disagree. But also, shout out to Duke for the win because none of that is to take anything away from Duke. Because again, it's a huge win. It's one of the biggest wins that they've had in program recent program history. Um, all right, any other thoughts from college football before we end on a, on, a, on a fun light note that I wanted to add? My boys, your boys. Oh, no. Yep, we got to talk. Drew Allar looked. Is also is it Aller? I thought we thought it was Allar, but I keep hearing people say it's Aller. Yeah, no Eagles saying Aller on the on the uh, broadcast. Shout out to him, by the way. He's a fantastic broadcaster. I'm glad he got the A spot on uh, Big Ten Saturday night. My boy, um, yeah, my boy <laughs> Noah Eagle, uh, phenomenal guy. He and I still keep in touch. Big big fan of of, uh, of Noah. He's he's killing it. Yeah, 
great broadcaster. Uh, love would love to hear him more on uh, on on the call for Penn State. Um, Which but you yeah, might. He, he was he was saying out or all all night long. In any case, um, unbelievable man, what this kid can do. He's big. He can run. Uh, the throws on the run were absolute dimes. His decision making was fantastic. He's able to step up in the pocket. I mean, there was we were there were some throws he made. Um, and decisions he made in the first quarter. I'm sitting there texting some of my buddies. Shout out Jake, who I was texting during the game, entire game. And and he goes, Sean Clifford throws that for an interception 12 times out of 10. And I'm like, yes, that is accurate. <laughs> it's like, it, it's, it's, it's refreshing to see not only a new face because we've had the same quarterback for five years, but like to see the efficiency, not that Sean Clifford was a bad quarterback, but to see the efficiency to see the step up in play, to see the decision-making from a kid who's a sophomore, um, yeah. I think is, is huge. And I, you know, talk about Sean Clifford. I mean, I, for Drew to sit behind him for a year, I said this during the game to my wife, I think Sean Clifford's going to be a phenomenal coach one day. Uh, I really hmm. do because he seems like the kind of guy who may not have the physical skills, but can, you know, was, he sees it. Very, yeah very adept at like seeing it and, and maybe being able to help coach up drew a little bit in that regard. Um, but man, this, this kid, I, I, I think is, is solid. He, he, a very good, uh, very good trajectory right now uh, after one week. So, no, con- no concern at all that it, it took them to the fourth quarter to kind of put this game away. No, uh, look, man, I, I, I think that's all uh, on the defense up the middle. We talked about this during the game. They go like 6'3", uh, like 2, I think it was like 6'3", 270, and and 6'1", uh, and 305 up the middle with their tackles on defense. That's not going to get it done. Uh, it's it's too small, especially like for Big Ten offensive lines. It doesn't matter which, which school you're playing in, but especially like a team like Michigan who can just absolutely – dominate you up front that's not going to get it done and so even west virginia's interior offensive line was just bullying us uh on the interior for the for the first part of the game um i think that stems uh, a lot of it but uh you know missed opportunities too where we were driving down the field uh and missed two field goals as well so how okay here's here's a fun question for you how many games is it going to take of drew aller looking like this for you to say he's the best quarterback you've ever seen play for Penn State. <laughs> uh, give me because a season, I, would, I think. Because like, I would have – see, I – no, I'm calling bullshit because it's – let me – I don't have the Penn State schedule memorized. If he throws um, up three hundo and four tutties against Michigan, like, okay, maybe. Okay, so let's and look that's at November this, 11th. Okay, so let's look at this the schedule. So they get <laughs> Delaware next, and they're at Illinois, which will be a really good test because Illinois and Brett Bielema, we know that defense is going to be good. Iowa, we know that defense is going to be good. Uh, Northwestern should be a rollover. And then you guys play UMass before, a little tune-up game before you take on Ohio State. If he – see, because I I know you, and I think what most people would say is if he looks that good against Ohio State and Penn State wins, then I will say he will. And he's continually playing that well in all of these games. Then I feel like that's what most people are like. That'd be enough. Uh, hey, I mean, I, we did our fantasy draft on on uh, on Sunday, uh, or sorry, on Monday, and everyone. I, there were multiple Penn State people in there that were alluding to, "Yeah, I've never seen a Penn State quarterback look like this." 
I mean, it's inarguable that he looks, he is better in terms of tools and everything than Trace McSorley, who I think is the best Penn State quarterback I've ever seen. Statistically, yeah. You know, we're not sure. even just, I mean, statistically, I mean, he's got a long way to go to, to challenge some of the, uh, the trace, the trace records and, and, and Sean Clifford too, just Clifford, that's longevity. He was there for eight years. Yeah, yeah. But we don't count those. <laughs> we don't, we don't count those. I feel like if he, if he's lighting it up and he's like in the Heisman buzz come week six or after week six, when you guys beat the shit out of UMass, I feel like there's going to be like a. Yeah, like it's you're not gonna fully want to say it, but you're you're gonna want to say that he's the best Penn State quarterback you've seen. You want to say it right to, now. I I'm deciding to face. let this season come as it comes. You know, I'm not. Oh, I'm gonna be man. very easy. Oh right? man, I can't wait for it to be like <laughs> it's it's gonna be like twelve to ten in the fourth quarter against Illinois, and you're gonna be like, fuck this Penn State team, fuck Sean Clifford, fuck all the fuck Drew Alar. Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait. That's going to be so funny. Uh, but no, your boys looked your boys looked really good. They closed that game out strong. They were out playing West Virginia the entire game. Uh, it was just it was just a matter of time. Um, I think it's an interesting thing to at least pop up here. Um, Ohio State. Didn't Slow look, start. Didn't look even the whole game. 23 points against Indiana. Now we know Tom Allen can build up some good defenses and it's been a few years since Indiana has been good. So he's kind of in that point in the recruiting cycle. You would expect Indiana to kind of have a good year here, but I'll tell you what McCord really didn't look great. And you got the best college wide receiver since Jamar chase on that team. I mean, Marvin Harrison yeah. Jr. is better than any of the guys. I mean, they put out some Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, Jackson Smith and Jigwa. They put out some studs. Marvin Harrison Jr. is better than all of them. And I I thought Ohio State, I kept peeking back over at that. I only had one TV up at the beach house. So I kept bopping around and every time I pulled up that Ohio State game, my eyebrow went up a little bit like, "Ooh. Mm-hmm. Ooh, maybe. Maybe." Uh, yeah, so that, that'll be a fun one to kind of follow. Um, USC continuing to look awesome. Caleb Williams, five touchdowns against Nevada. But again, I mean, they've played San Jose state in Nevada. You would expect them to just kind of continue to, to push that, uh, forward. I'll tell you what, Notre Dame and Sam Hartman look real good. Um, I know there was a lot of questions about Notre Dame after Brian Kelly left and last year was a bit of a disappointment they they changed coordinators tommy reese now the offensive coordinator at alabama but sam hartman is is the best quarterback they've had since ian book and i actually think he's a better quarterback uh so keep an eye out there oregon i'm not putting i want to put stock into oregon but like they played portland state i mean you know i it's like when jmu and i saw jmu hang like 75 up against uh norfolk state and i'm just like yeah i i want to say that i mean it's awesome seeing your team put up 70 plus points in a football game um but there's not really a lot you can take away from it um not a texas against rice you know same type of deal started slow but i felt like they kind of came around i'm very excited for that game against bama i'm at a wedding this weekend so i will not be able to watch that game uh, I might be able to tune in a little bit because uh, I think that's an afternoon game. Uh, and the last no, it's, thing, it's a seven o'clock game. Oh, it is. All right. Well, maybe yeah. I'll be able to tune in during the reception. Um, and then the last thing I want, and this is just because we need to monitor it throughout the season. The uh, the Iowa, the the uh, what is it? Brian uh, Ferentz? Is that Kirk Ferentz's yeah. son? Yeah, Brian Ferentz. 
uh, the clause in his contract that they need to average 25 points per game uh, in order for him to keep his job. I can't ever remember there being a public thing like this in a contract where everybody <laughs> just knows and it's this cut and dry. The drama and the fact that this poor guy, and I say poor guy, not like his dad's been making millions of dollars for 25 plus years coaching at Iowa. Um, but this poor guy's job is on the line, you know, and we're all going to be fighting tooth. If you can't put up more than 24 points against Utah State, this is supposed to be one of the easy ones for you. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I was going to be more of the same of what we're used to. Uh, and again, shout out Oregon state. They looked awesome on Sunday night, taking on San Jose state. So, uh, all right. Last thing I want to hit on here before we, uh, before we wrap up the pod, we, I, I feel like every year, and especially when I was working on ESPNU, we would do this at some point in the summer. Um, just because we were, you know, we were, we were bored, you know, filling up content, um, but this year seems to be on another level, like a whole nother level. Uh, the names of college football this year are just absolutely spectacular. Um, Give them to me. The East West Bowl. Keen so so it, it is. It's real life. So, of course, Oklahoma Sooners quarterback, General Booty. Oh, sorry, tight end. He changed to, to, to tight end. But yeah, General Booty. Unbelievable. Good for that. Unbelievable name. Fish McWilliams, I uh, believe he's a, a cornerback for, uh, uh, yeah, cornerback for UAB. Pig Cage, wow. linebacker for the LSU Tigers, or uh, yeah, LSU Tigers. Uh, let's see, uh, Tiger Shanks. I don't even know who, who this guy is, but oh, just I hope he's not a punter <laughs> or a kicker. Uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty incredible playing for UNLV, uh, from UNT mobility. Mobility. I like that. Yeah. Uh, dude storm. I'm sorry. No dude person. Sorry. Dude person. Great name. Storm (laughs) duck. Major burns. Duck is back. I love it. Storm duck. Major burns. Uh, of course, Kool-Aid McKinnistry, unbelievable name, uh, who is also going to end up being like, unbelievable a, an, player. NFL, like he's going to end up being a sick <laughs> NFL player. Uh, yeah. Same thing with uh, DeColdis Foster or DeColdis Crawford now at Louisiana Tech. Um, hmm. Playing down is, south, he might be the warmest. Uh, but I think I think if I had, well, Parker Titsworth. Oh, that's a good one. Just unbelievable. Um, but I think the one that I love the most and the best part too, is it's, he's a tight end, uh, plays for FIU rowdy beers. Oh yeah. Had a couple of those. I've had more than a couple of rowdy beers, uh, which is just, which is awesome. Some honorable mentions, uh, juice Scruggs, Nemo Squire, uh, Booby Curry, uh, blazing Lono Wong meatball Smith. I need to know about meatball Smith. Um, Squirrel White, but the Duke uh, linebacker who made a couple plays yesterday, memorable factor, fact, (laughs) memorable factor, fantastic name, Haynes Hammer. It's a good one. Um, But again, this all comes back to because we can now say this because there are millennials having uh, kids that are playing in college football now. I deal with this every single day on the kids' show. Millennials, stop naming your kids weird shit, okay? 
You're not unique. It doesn't make them some special snowflake. It means they're going to get fucking bullied. You're not special by projecting your own insecurities onto your kid by giving them a weird fucking name. Give them normal human being names and don't name them weird shit unless they're going to become a college football player and have an awesome name like dude person. Then you can right. name them that. If in, Unless that's going to happen, name your kids normal fucking names. I'm so sick of millennials who are projecting their own shit onto their kids and being like, this is Kinsley and this is just making up fucking names. So your kid can think, shut up. Just name your kid, normal names, normal names. That's all we're asking for. Just normal Pretty simple names. Simple task. Yeah. It's very easy. It's very easy. You know, I like the middle tier, you know, like our friend, uh, uh, Jeff Martz and who, who, I don't know if you know this, Jeff Martz's two uh, sons, Cooper and Mac are also the name yeah. of my cousin's two sons, Cooper and Mac. Huh? How do you like that? A so, couple of so, Jeffs cutting it up. Yeah, it's wild. Cooper and Mac. Uh, great names. Love those names. They're they're a little unique, but they're also not like crazy and made up. And you're not doing it for attention. You're giving a kid a cool name. Stop being fucking weird. Just stop being fucking weird. It's so easy. All right. That's all we got on the pod. Uh, Friday pod. Week one preview. We're, gonna, we're not 100% sure what we're doing yet. Uh, in terms of our picks for this year, we are going to pick every single game. We're going to try to do a season long competition, but of course that always depends on how many podcasts Vito actually shows up in uh, during the course of football season. Uh, but we might change it up a little bit. We might just have, you know, pick three games a week that are like submission picks that are our lock picks. And we might just tally those up for the competition, but we're going to go through just like we always have. Uh, is this our fourth, fourth NFL season? I believe yeah. so. Go, going yeah. back to the old podcast, the original podcast we did, this will yeah. be our fourth season. Um, this will be our third season going through with our with our stuff and our setup here on the read option. So um, cannot wait. Thursday, before we go, let's look up this line. Uh, Kansas City uh, and Kansas City and Detroit on Thursday night. I am uh, very excited for this. I'm sorry. I'm trying to type and do this at the same time. Let's see. Right now, you can get the spread at Kansas City minus seven. Kansas City minus seven. Detroit plus seven. Uh, the over under is at 53. Uh, you can also get it at 54 and a half. And basically, anywhere from 53 to 54 and a half is where you can get it right now. Yeah. Um, and then money line, you got Detroit plus two hundred two, Kansas City minus two forty five. Uh, yeah, as of some right, great value for Detroit. Uh, we did have some news that came out today. Uh, Travis Kelsey hyper, hyper extended his knee during practice uh, today. This happened right before we hopped on to record, so uh, that puts a little bit of a question up there. Um, C.J. Gardner-Johnson still, uh, I believe, is back, but still a little bit banged up from his injury over the uh, over the summer. How are we feeling right now? What what where are you falling? Detroit plus seven. Not only Travis Kelsey might miss the game or might be limited, but also Chris Jones still holding out. Looks like he's going to miss this game uh, going into yeah. Week One. Yeah, and he said he's willing to hold out until Week Eight, uh, which. Uh, if you're Kansas city at this point, just be like, you know what, go ahead. We're going to make the playoffs. Anyway, we need you healthy <laughs> down the stretch. Um, 
but the Travis Kelsey thing is massive, man. Uh, not only, you know, obviously we've seen what he, what he is capable of producing on the field and what he opens up on the field. Um, so, so not having that weapon on the, on the field for Mahomes is going to make it interesting. I think, uh, as I alluded to in our, in our league chat, the script is already in for this season. Uh, Travis Kelsey out for a number of games, Tyreek Hill gone last year. What can Patrick Mahomes do without those two? He already won one Super Bowl without one of them. Um, so the script is already written. We know that. Um, and I think, uh, it's, it's going to be a big detriment on offense to, to Kansas city who heads out there against the, the darlings of the NFL and all the offseason, everybody's picking Detroit. You're getting some great juice on uh, on Detroit. They're nine and one against the spread in their last ten, going back to last year. Kansas City's only four and six against the spread uh, over their last uh, ten regular season games last year. I didn't like picking them on the spread uh, at, at all last year. I'm gonna juice, uh, take the juice that that Detroit has, uh, and, and take the minus seven. I mean, if you set aside, uh, you mean the plus seven for Detroit? Plus seven. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, if you set aside Patrick Mahomes, the two most important people for Kansas City are Travis Kelsey and Chris Jones. And there's a very good chance that neither one of them play. According to Andy Reid, who uh, just made a comment about 30 minutes ago, uh, Travis Kelsey is currently uncertain. Um which yeah. tells us nothing, but also tells us that it's at least a little bit more serious than we think. Um, and again, it couldn't, I'm not saying serious in terms of like torn anything. I don't think he did. It seems like they've ruled most of that out. Um, but I would think Kelsey plays, but if he's not a hundred percent, that could lean towards Detroit. I bet you, but if we had recorded this podcast two hours earlier, we'd be getting this line at a, a much different number plus seven. I hate picking the darling pick. I hate doing where all the public's going to be on because everyone's going to be on Detroit. I'm going to do it anyway, because I, I, without Chris Jones and now Travis Kelsey is going to be up in the air. I don't know. I think Detroit can do it. I'm rolling with you. It's week one. And when we get burnt by this, I'm going to remind myself that that's really dumb, but you make a good point. <laughs> Kansas city historically not great against the spread with Patrick Mahomes. So I'm taking Detroit as well. All right. That's going to do it for the pod. We'll see you guys on Friday week one NFL preview picks. And we're going to do our picks for MVP, Offensive Player of the Year, Defense Player of the Year, Rookies of the Year, all that fun stuff, Coach of the Year. That's all coming on Friday's pod. We are just, as we stand now, uh, a little more than 48 hours away from NFL football returning. Get pumped. By the next time we talk to you guys, football will have been played. So for Scotty, I'm Jeff. Have a wonderful week. We will talk to you guys on Friday to get ready for the NFL season. And as always... Take it easy, everybody.